All right, so we, we are continuing in our Genesis series, and there's only uh, a few months left. And so we are, we are now about halfway through the book. Uh, we're going to be in chapters 27, chapter singular, 27 today. Uh, and we're going to begin to examine the life of Jacob, Isaac's son, Jacob, whose name would later be changed to Israel and who would have 12 sons, and they would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, if you've read Genesis, if you've read any of the Old Testament, if you've read the New Testament, you know that families are messed up, yes. right? And, and I probably don't need to tell you that because even the best of families, you know, solid, biblical, Christian, seeking to walk uh, with the Lord, uh, those families are still messed up, right? Uh, there are problems in every single family. And, and the, I love the Bible for this. It just lays it all out there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, the Bible just tells the truth. It doesn't sugarcoat. It doesn't. Now, it, it, it's not explicit like, a, like an iced tea song, right? It's not explicit, but it does lay out there the way it really is. And so we're going to see some messed up family dynamics tonight. And what I appreciate about uh, this chapter in the book of Genesis is it just lays it out the way it is. It doesn't, in a sense, make a judgment call and say, this is wrong, therefore don't do this. That's not what Moses is intending with Genesis. He is laying out the narrative in truth. Uh, but what you'll see is, as you read the book, watch the decisions of individuals and watch the outcomes of those decisions. And by things going really bad for people, you could tell, I should not do that. Right? So, so you marry one wife, then you marry another wife, then you marry another wife, and you got four wives, and it goes really bad. The Bible, by telling you that Jacob had four wives, does not say you should also have four wives. Yeah, that would be a messed up way to interpret the Bible. But you watch how bad it goes for him having four wives, and then you should logically think, that's not a good idea. I should not go that way. Okay? That's kind of how the book of Genesis works. It, it lays out the bad so that you can learn by watching the fruit of bad decisions on the individuals and then think to yourself and pray for the Holy Spirit's help not to do those things. And so I'm already losing time, so I need to start. All right, there's a lot of verses here, and so here's how we're going to do this. Uh, this is a, a, just a straight narrative. It's a story, and so I will break just a few times to give some uh, explanation and comment, but we're basically going to run through the whole story, and then at the end of the story, we'll seek to make some application and some relevance to our lives uh, and not just explain the story itself. So again, this is a story about Jacob and Esau. But before we start into Genesis 27, I wanted to give you a little bit of background by starting in Genesis 25. So let's start here. You remember from last week, Eddie Sowell preached on Isaac and Abraham and especially uh, the sacrifice of Isaac, which God you know, interrupted at the very last minute uh, and and what gospel was portrayed last week 
not only in the text itself, but beautifully by Eddie. So Eddie, thank you for that. So Isaac is now married, and Isaac is with Rebecca, his wife, and Rebecca is barren. She is not able to have children. And so that's where we break in right here at verse 21 of Genesis 25. So let's start. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Uh, Why is this happening inside of me, inside of her body? There's this wrestling, this fighting, this contention. Why is this happening to me? And so she goes and inquires of the Lord. We're not told how she does that, whether she prays or she goes to see a prophet, but she goes to inquire of Yahweh, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And what does the Lord say? The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. Whoa, what just happened? There we go. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. Remember this. The older shall serve the younger. Tuck that away in the back of your mind. Then, if we were to jump to 27, 24, we would read this. When her days to give birth were completed, that would be Rebecca, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. Okay. You've seen these, uh, these guys who hunt and they put on these like camo hairy outfits and they lay in the, in the woods. Esau came out, as one pastor said, looking like a cross between Elmo and Chewbacca, like a red Wookiee, like, like he was hunting in the woods, hiding out, but he came out red like a cloak, right? A hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Now, I know this is hard to believe, but this is what the Bible says. This hairy wookie of a baby comes out of the womb, and he's being held on by his brother, like, take me with you, you know, that kind of thing. Or perhaps, more, more true to the narrative, he's probably trying to pull him back because he wants to go out first. So his name was called Jacob. This is the the, the helpful note in the ESV. Jacob means he takes by the heel or he cheats. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, now I do want to pause here. These last two verses, 27 and 28, are very important to understand chapter 27, okay? The Bible takes a lot of life, 
many, many years and decades and squashes them into two verses. It's just how the Bible does. Otherwise, the Bible would not be a thick book. It would be a, you know, a thick volume of volumes of volumes of books. And so what is happening in verse 27? Well, in five words, when the boys grew up, it's a long time, Esau was a skillful hunter. And so remember, we, we don't have guns and scopes and like, you know, the, the, the deer pee smell that you put on yourself to attract the deer, like none of that stuff. Like these, these ancient hunters were seriously skilled and, and no disrespect to you hunters out there, I'm sure you're skilled, but I'll bet this guy could hit you with his hand, you know, made bow from 300 yards away and you can barely hit with your, you know, high tech crossbow, okay? Probably. So th th look, it says skillful hunter. Like this guy's a boss. That's what Moses wants you to know. This guy could hunt. He was a man of the outdoors, a man of the field. Okay? And he was a hunter. Now, by contrast, Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Now, we don't have homes at this time. Homes were tents. And so uh, Jacob is the opposite. He is uh, uh, an inside type person. And we learn later he is smooth in skin, not hairy, but smooth. Uh, so you get the idea of like a more soft type man, a guy who likes to be inside, much like most men today, right? Like we like to sit in front of Netflix and just, you know, we're not, we're not out hunting for our food. We like to Grubhub that thing and just push the button and it comes to us. We're not out hunting for our food. It's like, I'm gonna binge watch while you bring me my food. Okay? And, and so this, this Jacob is not an outdoorsman, but he's an indoorsman. Okay? He's skilled on the, the Nintendo Switch. Okay? He is not a man of the outdoors. He probably couldn't even shoot, shoot a bow if you asked him to. And look at verse 28. Okay? This, this is quite destructive. Isaac loved Esau. And then look at the end, but Rebekah loved Jacob, okay? Now, I'm sure that there was some love for Jacob by Isaac, and I'm sure there was some love for Esau by Rebekah, but notice what the text says, clear favoritism. Now, do you think that causes stress within a family unit? Not just stress, it causes destruction and you will see that played out through the narrative. So, so the first thing I, I wanna just warn you all, okay? If you have kids, please do not do this, okay? And, and notice the reasons. I mean, the reasons are kind of hidden in the text. Isaac loved Esau, why? Because he ate his game. He loved that his son was an outdoorsman and could hunt and then would grill up what he hunted and present it to his father. And he loved him for that. Okay? I love you, but kind of because of what you do for me. Because he loved his game. He loved the way that he could hunt and then cook for him. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, it's not said here this, but I think we could maybe assume that because he's an indoorsman, he probably helped her out. He was probably doing the dishes. You know, he was probably making the bed and dusting the furniture and using the Dyson to clean the tent, you know? He's, he's helping out around the house. And so she loves him for that. Now again, I'm assuming that, but I think that's a safe assumption. 
Okay? She loves him, and she does not, in a sense, love Esau, but Jacob loves Esau, and in a sense, does not love uh, Jacob. Did I say that right in the last sentence? Okay, good. So this is background to our text. And here's some more. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, okay, so we know Jacob can cook too. He's cooking stew. Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Again, helpful note in the ESV. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom sounds like the Hebrew for red. And isn't that interesting? Red stew, he comes out like a red hairy garment. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Now, pause. Certainly that's hyperbole, okay? But we talk like this, don't we? I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. Right? I'm, yeah, I'm starving to death, thank you. So that, this is kind of an idiom, but he probably felt like, I am so hungry, and here's some food right here. And then Jacob says, look, sell me your birthright. Just give me your birthright. Now, what is the birthright? The birthright is, in this culture, we don't do this generally in America, but the firstborn would get double the inheritance just by being the firstborn. Okay? And so Isaac, having inherited from Abraham, is mega wealthy. You remember how wealthy Abraham was? Over 300 servants or slaves just born to his home. That's just men. And, and massive flocks of goats and cows and camels and gold and silver. And so Esau is going to, just by being the firstborn, get double what Jacob's going to get. And so imagine that, having that knowledge, I'm so hungry, I'm about to die, sell me your birthright right, right now. Well, for what? For this bowl of soup, for this stew. Wow. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Okay, now you, you have to be a pretty non-thinking person or you have to be so fleshly impulsive to sell a double portion of your inheritance, listen, for the immediate. That's in front of me. That's way out there in the future. And even though I could get this at Panera for six bucks, let's do it. Now, we're all like this. So, so while you're judging Esau, be careful because you're judging yourself. Don't we do this? Don't we overspend on credit cards and think, I'll pay it way out there in the future, but this is here now, right? And, and I'm guilty. I do it too, right? I'm, I'm condemning myself as I condemn you. Hey, I love you. Okay? We, we often go for the immediate and what's right in front of us and what's now. This is what Satan often does to us. Right? He shows us with our eyes something that is forbidden. He shows us uh, something that appeals to our fleshly desires. Or he says, 
just lie a little bit because you won't get in trouble. And so we only see the immediate, but we don't even look into next week, next month, or next year. And so we go with what's immediate and we get in big trouble, don't we? Isn't this the appeal of drugs and alcohol, me being a former addict? Right? You get this temporary relief from your problems, from stress and anxiety, but you know from experience that as soon as it wears off, everything's coming back and usually compounded because we've made some bad decisions while we were high or drunk, right? And so th this is not exclusive to Esau. This is us. We all do this, okay? I should do my Greek homework, but man, it's the final season of The Mandalorian. Like that's, that's far more appealing. <laughs> Right? And so what do I do? Well, yeah, I can wait, you know, and I sit and enjoy. And that's me. And, and, and the, the appeal of the immediate is so powerful. We don't think long term. Now, let me ask you a question. Am I speaking anyone's language right now? All of us, right? Now, now this is a bit much for sure. Like a double portion of the inheritance for a bowl of broccoli and cheddar. Like that's crazy to me. But this is what is happening in the story. So here's what it means. Esau is very nearsighted. He's very fleshly, um, what's the word? He, he's very sensual in the sense that he just wants his immediate desires gratified. And he's not looking into the future. He's not thinking of his future self, if you will. He's not thinking of the consequences down the road and what it means for him later. He's just saying, I'm hungry, I'm about to die. If I die from hunger, what is this birthright to me? Now, he's not gonna die of hunger, but he's just so hungry, and maybe he was really, really hungry, okay? But to trade it for the birthright? So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate, and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, here's the comment from Moses, thus Esau despised his birthright. So did he hold this firstborn birthright in any kind of value? No, he did not. And so he said, what does it matter to me? And he just gives it away for some lentil soup. All background to verse one. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. So Isaac is now, he was 60 in 25. And now he's old enough that he's blind. He probably like some film over his eyes and he can't see well. And he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such that I love. You know, as he says it, his mouth starts watering. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, this bless you 
is not like, I'm gonna lay my hands on you and I'm gonna pray a blessing over you. That's not what this is. What this blessing is, is it's conferring the promise to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through you. The messianic line, if you will, even though it wasn't this clear at this point in redemptive history, we know because we can read backwards from the New Testament, the blessing of the messianic line, the line of the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, Isaac is gonna bestow on Esau. He wants to. He wants to give the goodness to Esau. Let me bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for, for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the... Uh, before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So think about all of the deception in this passage, okay? Rebecca is against her husband in this, right? And in some sense, Isaac is against the prophecy given to Rebecca previously, that the older shall serve the younger. What we're gonna see in a minute is when he actually does bless, one of the things is uh, you will basically rule over your brothers. This was gonna be given to Esau in the mind of Isaac, the direct opposite of the prophecy that was given. Now, no doubt, Rebecca, when given that prophecy from the Lord, the older will serve the younger, no doubt she conveyed that to Isaac, for sure. But going with, if you will, the, the custom of the day, the tradition of the day, and remember, Isaac loved Esau. Why? Because he would make him his favorite kinds of food from his game that he would go and hunt. And so not only is Rebekah deceiving Isaac, but here Jacob is saying, yeah, I'll, I'll happily deceive my father, but what if he finds out? Like his concern isn't, Mom, it's wrong to lie to dad. And isn't that shady to like pretend I'm my brother? Rather, he's like, look, he's hairy and I'm smooth and he's gonna feel me and we're gonna get caught and I'm gonna get cursed. So who's he worried about? Himself, not the sin, not the deception, none of the, the morality of the situation, only what if I get caught? And, and she persuades him by saying like, look, if you get caught and there's any curse, 
let it fall upon me and I will receive your curse for you. Let me be cursed in your place. And so, here's another sad family dynamic that's happening here. Isaac wants to bless Esau. Rebekah wants to take that blessing from Esau and have it land on her favorite son, Jacob. And so you, you have all kinds of messed up family dynamics here, right? There's all kind of deception. There's backbiting. There's thievery. There's deception. There's manipulation. You're like, that sounds like my home. <laughs> right? Now, I don't want a show of hands, but think to yourself, what, did I have a messed up home growing up? Or is my home currently messed up, yet I have hope that it can get better? Okay, don't raise hands. Because I know this is some of your stories. Again, even if you live in a solidly Christian home, there is no such thing as a perfect home. It just doesn't exist. Okay? But there are degrees of health, and this is certainly not a healthy household, right? We would all agree with that. And so here, you have all kinds of deception, all kinds of sin, all kinds of manipulation, all kinds of plotting, and let's keep going to verse 14. So he went and took them, what? The goats, the two good goats, brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, tent, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, like right here where, where your hair will grow if you have a neck beard. <laughs> and she put the delicious food in the bread which she prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So get the picture. You got the dead goat, okay? And the, the goat meat is in the stew and it's smelling good. And she takes the skin and she puts it all over his wrists and his hands and, and here on his neck poking out. And then she takes his clothes. And most likely if you're an indoors kind of guy and you're you know, using the Dyson and using the pledge to dust you know, the counters off, you're probably not as beast or beast mode or buff if you were out in the field as a skillful hunter right? A tracker, a hunter, like if, to pull a bow that's not compound. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to pull a, a real bow without the compounds, even with the compound, it's, it's hard. It's, it's not an easy task. And then, you know, if you go like this, the arrow wants to go and kind of swing that way. And then if you let go a certain way, it smacks your wrist and you get black and blue. It's, it's very hard to actually shoot a real bow, right? This guy's a, a boss, and he's probably big, meaning now he's got his brother's clothes on. He's looking like a fool. He's got hair all over him. He looks like an idiot. And now he's going to go in and play the manipulative liar. Okay? And his mom is not only backing him up, but she came up with the plan. This is her idea. He's like, we shouldn't do this. I'm going I'm to get a curse called upon my head. Not a blessing. She's like, no, no, no. I've got, this, I've got this plan. And because she was, you know, his mom, the one who loved him the most, he, he, he trusts her and he goes with the plan. So when he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? 
Uh-oh. Who, who are you? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. A very crafted sentence. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Like, you've never brought it back this fast before. And look at the answer. Because the Lord your God granted me success. Now he's pulling God into the lie. Dang. Like, you want to curse. So, so the Ten Commandments haven't been written yet. But you know one of them is you shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Right? And we think that means don't say, oh my God. It's more like this. Manipulating and lying and pulling God into your scheme. Not good at all. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you. Right? He knew. My son Jacob is a smooth man. I, I will know. Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So talk about suspicion. He's clearly suspicious. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice but the hands are the hands of Esau. Now, how many of you like uh, the Marvel character Daredevil? Any of you like Daredevil? And what was Daredevil's kind of superpower? He lost his sight, but then what happened? Yeah, like he was like a, a dolphin, right? He like had these sonar powers. But, but the point is, your other senses heighten when you lose one of them. And so he's, his hearing is clearly good maybe even heightened now that he can't see. And he's like, I hear Jacob, but I feel the wookiness of you. Like, I feel the hairiness of my son Esau. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Now think about this. All right, let, let, let's just ponder this. This dude was really hairy as a goat. It was enough to deceive his father, like goat skin. Didn't anyone ever go to the petting zoo and feel a goat? I've felt goats in the past, right? And, and they're, they're very hairy. Like, it's not like they have a little bit of hair. They're, they're just all hair, you know? And so, man, Esau must have literally been like Teen Wolf if you were born in the 80s. <laughs> like, just full of hair, but red, okay? Have they reissued Teen Wolf yet? Anyone know? I'm sure it's coming. 2025, Michael J. Fox <laughs> reincarnated. <laughs> you watch. All the kids 30 and under are like, what's he talking about? And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He did it. He deceived his father and it worked. Here's the blessing. Ready? He said, oh, not yet. Are you really my son Esau? 
He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and brought him wine and he drank. Now, some of the, the scholars on Genesis would say he got him drunk here. Maybe. It seems like he's well on his way to deception before the wine comes into the picture. It may be that he drank enough wine to deceive him more. That's possible. You know, it, it, it happened with, with Lot and his daughters. You remember that terrible story earlier, uh, late, coming later in, in the story? Um, so anyway, he, he's, or, or rather later, prior to this. He said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field the Lord God has blessed. So you got that field cologne on, son. You smell like the earth and the trees and the leaves, right? Because Esau's a masterful hunter. I'm sure he's laying on the ground and he's got that bow. He's like covered in leaves and he's hiding in the brush. You know, he's, a, he's an outdoorsman. He's a skillful hunter. So he smelled like the outside. And so as he came near, remember, eyes blind, heightened senses. His smell's probably better now. And so, oh yeah, that's, that's my son. There he is. And so he launches into the blessing. Here it is. The smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Now, now this is probably going to be played out in the promised land, right? A land flowing with what? Milk and honey, okay? Uh, it, it's, a, it's a blessing of the produce of the earth, plenty of grain, no wants, plenty of wine, meaning, uh, you know, the Proverbs and, and the Psalms actually would both discourage drinking a lot of wine and saying that wine gladdens the heart, meaning use it responsibly and don't abuse it, okay? But here it's seen as a good thing, plenty of wine, plenty of grain, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. And may your mother's sons, who's that? It's the very one he's talking to, thinking he's blessing Esau. May your mother's sons bow down to you. And may, uh, I'm sorry, cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now that, that last line there is directly the promise given to Abraham, then passed down to Isaac, and now he's passing down the covenant promise from Yahweh to Esau, but it's not Esau, is it? Cursed is everyone who curses you, and blessed is everyone who blesses you. 
as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. So, so what is this? This is like a prophetic moment, okay? Isaac received blessing from Abraham. Isaac received the promise, uh, and now he is passing along this same promise to Esau, but it's not Esau, it's Jacob. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. So the, the picture is he just makes it out. And as he's coming out with the dirty dishes, he sees Esau coming with this, with this plate of food. And so he probably runs a little faster. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes and he shall be blessed. Okay, there's a lot packed in this right here. What's being said is, number 33, Isaac trembled very violently and said, who is this then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came? He's talking out loud but realizing what happened. Because remember, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the feel of the hands is Esau and the smell of the garments is Esau. So he realized he's been deceived. But I think he also realizes God has overcome his plans. God has sovereignly moved upon Isaac and overcame what was prophesied and what Isaac sought to not do. Hey, we're going we're to talk more about that in just a moment here. But he's realizing what has just happened, and he's realizing what he has done, and it's all dawning upon him, and so he, he begins to shake. And as soon as Esau, no, no, wait, before we read that, look at the end of 33. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Okay, so th this is the kind of blessing that once prophesied or once given, you clearly can't take it back. Because look at the way Esau responds. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. And if it was just a generic kind of blessing, if it was just something that could be taken back, there wouldn't be this kind of trembling. There wouldn't be this kind of, no, me too, please. You know, and, and Isaac says, and he will be blessed. He, he confirms the word spoken, even though he thought he was blessing his oldest son. He says, and he will be blessed. He will be blessed. But he said, your brother came deceptively and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? And again, remember, Jacob means 
he takes by the heel. Isn't that true to the name? Grabbing at Esau's heel, but then also he cheats. For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And we're not going to go farther in the narrative. We're going to stop there. And, and what will happen is next week, as Justin comes up to preach, he'll, he'll fill you in on some of the details of what happens next. But we need to focus on what happened and why this makes sense for us and how we can apply this, okay? So application. Did you notice in the text that God sovereignly uses and used the sinful actions and choices of individuals to accomplish his will and purpose. That's a big deal. So, so wait a minute. So you're saying that God uses sin to do his will. It's exactly what I'm saying. It's exactly what happened in this text. Now, while God uses sin to accomplish his will, he is not sinning by doing so. You say, how can that be? Here's how. If God allows an angel or a demon or Satan himself or a human being to freely make sinful choices and God does not intervene and stop them from making those sinful choices, God sovereignly allowed them to make those choices because he knew the outcome of those choices would ultimately, through a string of events, causal events, would accomplish a greater purpose. And so you have with Abraham, you remember a few sermons ago, there was a king named Abimelech. And Abraham was afraid that Abimelech would kill him for his wife, Sarah, who was beautiful. And so he, pre pre pretend you are my sister. Do this good to me that I may live. And so Abimelech takes Sarah to be one of his wives, and who shows up in a dream to Abimelech? God. You touch her, and you're a dead man. And Abimelech says, I am innocent. Did this man not say to me, she is my sister? And so in the integrity of my heart, I have done this. And here's what God said back. I know that you have done this in the integrity of, my, of your heart. That's why I stopped you from sinning against me. 
Now friends, if God doesn't stop sin from occurring, and he is the sovereign one, the Lord of all the universe, the Lord of every minute, of every day, of every month, of every year, of history itself, what does that mean? That means it was his sovereign purpose that that sin would take place. And if it wasn't, he would have stopped it. And so God is the primary cause of all things, including the sin that happens, including Adam and Eve. You say, that, that's crazy. It is from your perspective. You see, what God's doing in the world goes far beyond what we can perceive and comprehend. Now, I am going to make this a little happier in a minute, but you need to feel the weight of this, okay? So just feel the weight of it for a minute. God put Adam and Eve in the garden with one restriction, knowing they were going to disobey him. He created them anyway, put the restriction there, and let them do it. Which did what? Brought the entire universe down and brought a curse upon us all. Could God have... Could God have just slapped that fruit out of Eve's hand? What are you doing? You're going to bring the whole universe down. Aren't you thinking? Didn't you hear what I said? Instead, he lets her make the choice. And then he lets Adam make the choice. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And you know what Revelation says about the Savior? It says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Meaning what? Means that sin was already in the picture and God had a plan to deal with sin before he said, let there be anything. That's your God if you're a Christian. Now, what does that mean for me? <laughs> Here's what this means for, this is why this is actually good news. This is good news because how many of you have made terrible, ugly, devastating decisions in your life? I should expect to see every hand or at least a head nod. Here's, here's the truth. God uses even those to accomplish his good and perfect will. But more than that, he, if you're his, he is using those very sinful choices for your ultimate good in the end. Is this not what Romans 8.28 teaches? This is like our favorite verse in the Bible. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, what? He causes all things, including sin, including sin, to work together for what? For your good. So friends, we, we need to, yes, lament our sin, resist temptation, make the choice to cut off our hands, gouge out our eyes, and resist, resist, resist temptation. That is your responsibility. But you know what? Every sin that you commit and every sin committed against you is all a part of a big plan for your good. Now, it takes real God-gifted faith to believe that and live in it, doesn't it? 
And this is why Christianity is a miraculous religion of faith, which means trust. When everything looks dark and everything looks bad and everything looks terrible, and it might actually be, but believing that God is in this and he's up to something in the middle of the chaos and the crazy and the pain and the suffering. To believe that and to call upon him like Job and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's a life of faith. And friends, that's what we're called to. That's real Christianity. Christianity is not live as morally and as best as you can and God will shower blessings upon you. That's not Christianity. That's a false version of Christianity. But many of us have that like subconsciously in our minds. Because when something goes bad, we're like, God, haven't I been going to church and haven't I been reading the Bible and haven't I been praying? Haven't I been doing good to my neighbor? And we shake our fist at God. How dare you? That's the version of Christianity you have if when things go bad, you're on God. How could you? And listen, I understand the temptation because I believe I'm like a strong sovereignty kind of guy. I love strong black coffee and that's how I like my sovereignty. Don't put any cream in it, no sugar. Like I want that to kind of be bitter going down like, whoo, dang. That's how I like my sovereignty, okay? And so what does that mean? Friends, when I see bad things happen in my own life and in your life, do you know, do you know what I think? God's in this. And the mystery is, what is he doing? And often, you know what answer you don't get? What is he doing? Wait, sometimes we never find out the why, and yet that's the very question we keep asking. Why? And you know what God says instead of here's why? You know what he says? Trust me. You gotta trust me. And friends, if you think back to a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, faith and believing the promises of God, listen, Romans 8.28 is a promise that applies to all of you. And that would be one you should take to heart, memorize, meditate on, and say out loud when things are going really bad. Now, it's not a Band-Aid, and we shouldn't slap each other with it. In fact, I did a whole sermon on how not to use Romans 8.28. We don't slap people with it in the middle of their pain. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is you taking that promise to yourself, absorbing it and using it the way it was meant to be used. And so God used the sin of Rebecca, the sin of Isaac, the sin of Jacob, and really the sin of Esau because he despised his birthright. He could really care less about the blessing although his response seems to give the indication otherwise. He, he did not count value the promise given to Abraham and to his father Isaac, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And so here's the blessing that was promised 
I will surely bless you to Abraham. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is right after Isaac uh, was offered on the altar by Abraham and God said, stop. This is what was said. And so that promise was then given to Isaac. And Isaac is now about to give that promise to Esau. But it wasn't supposed to go to Esau, was it? Because you remember the prophecy, the older shall serve the younger. Now here's, here's a strong text, okay? And I thought, should I bring this in? And I was like, you know what? We're gonna be talking about sovereignty anyway. I might as well bring it in. This is, a, this is one of the strongest verses in the Bible. I did a whole sermon on it in the Roman series. I'm not going to unpack it. If you're interested, go, go look it up at eternalcity.org. But Paul commenting on Jacob and Esau in view of God's sovereignty says this, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing either good or bad, so not based on anything in them, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Notice the emphasis, not by works, not good or bad, God's choice, God's choice. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It's God who said that. Now, again, I, I, I preached the whole sermon on this, so I'm not going to unpack this. But what I want you to see is God sovereignly worked through all that deception, all those lies, all of that sin to what? To accomplish his purposes. God decided, I will not have the Messiah run through the line of Esau. And you know what actually happens as you continue to read the book of Genesis and then into uh, the rest of the Pentateuch and into the prophets? The Edomites who flow from Esau become the enemies of the Jewish people who came out of Jacob. They, they become enemies. Now, thankfully, in the narrative with Esau, there's some patching up that happens, and I'll leave that to Justin later. But what you need to know for here is this, is this is God all over the place. But you know what you didn't see in the picture? And God was behind the whole thing. And God made Rebecca do this. And God made Jacob put, you didn't see any of that. But you know what was happening in the background? God was all over that thing. And it's hard, I, I, listen, it's hard for us to imagine God being sovereign and using sin to accomplish his will. But this is the very thing he does over and over and over again. You wanna know what the greatest sin in the world that God used? The killing of God. Do you remember that story? When human beings killed God? They nailed him to a cross. And then when we read in Acts chapter four, the apostles praying in the upper room said, 
I'm going to paraphrase here. Gathered against your holy servant was Pontius Pilate, the Jews, the Romans, to accomplish all that your plan had predestined to take place. All that sin planned. For what? For our salvation, friends. It was Tim Keller who said this. I, I never saw this till Tim showed me it. When, when Rebecca said, my, my son, let the curse fall upon me, Jesus was the greater Rebecca. Because friends, the curse really did fall upon him. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The curse of the first sin that brought down the universe, the very thorns and thistles that resulted from the ground being cursed, Jesus wore. Bore, his, bore our sins in his body on the tree. That is the good news, friends, that God uses sin to accomplish his will. And friends, he even will use your past. All the things that you think back on and are ashamed. But even more, we could say all the sin that was done to you, he will somehow use for good as well. And it takes faith to believe that, but that's what the Bible teaches. And so are, are we to rejoice when bad things happen and when people sin? No. No, we, we are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That's what we are instructed to do. All the while holding intention that God is accomplishing his purposes, even by the free choices of sinful men and women and demons and Satan himself. Accomplishing his goodwill. And so we're going we're gonna to celebrate that right now by taking communion. We're gonna celebrate that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. That he did not just leave us in our sin. He did not just stand back and be indifferent towards our sin. Rather, he entered into not just this sinful dark world, but he entered into the punishment for our sins and bore it himself, friends, so that you and I could be free. Have you ever read Galatians 5.1? It is for what that Christ has set us free? Freedom. Friends, that is a promise that you can hold on to. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Therefore, I don't have to live in this, fill in the blank, whatever this is. I don't have to live in this. There is freedom available. Now, just because I choose freedom doesn't mean I'm in it. Sometimes it's a process. But you enter into that process. And with the Holy Spirit, and with the help of other believers, and with discipline on your part, God uses that mix to grow you and to set you free. And friends, the promise is one day we will be fully free. Free to sin no more untemptable, and in an environment where there is no sin and temptation. That's where we're headed. But for now, we live in the opposite. And so now we live by faith, not by sight, that one day we shall get there. We shall get in. 
And for now, we encourage each other week by week by week. Keep going. Don't give up. Trust in the Lord. Hold on to his promises. Let me pray for you. Don't turn around. Keep going towards the light. And friends, if you're there tonight, this is what the church is for. Like, don't be an island. You have brothers and sisters for a reason. To support you, to love you, to help you, to pick you up, and sometimes to carry you. Right? That's what we're for. So let us love one another and bear one another's burdens in that way. Uh, I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come out. We're going to sing a song together, and we're going to take communion together as one church. Um, and so let's pray. Father, thank you for your great grace and mercy. Thank you, God, that you have not left us in our sin. That, Father, you have provided a substitute Savior who took the curse for us. Father, we thank you for promises like Romans 8.28 that no matter what has been done to us or what we have done, you are working it all for good, for our ultimate good and for your ultimate good and plan. God, give us faith, give us grace to believe and to hold on to you, especially when we're hurting, especially when it's dark, especially when it doesn't make sense. God, give us your help, we pray. Help us to worship in the middle of the storm. Help us to worship in the middle of the pain and in the middle of the confusion. When the answers aren't there, God, help us to worship, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Could you please stand? Thanks for taking a minute to watch this video. My name is Pastor Chris Moran. I'm one of the pastors at Eternal City Church in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania. Eternal City is a church that values biblical authority. We teach the Bible verse by verse, week by week, and we are seeking to eventually preach the whole way through the Bible. We believe that Jesus is God as he claimed to be, and his person and work are the center of the entire Bible. We believe that the Great Commission is still relevant today for Christians, that Christians are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching disciples to obey all that Jesus commanded. Eternal City is a church that values diversity in that we are a church of all kinds of people, cultures, classes, colors, and capacity. We are a church that values community and we seek to see our members hold one another accountable and build each other up in discipleship. We are a church that has a plurality of leadership for pastors and deacons who are servants who serve under the pastors. If this sounds like an interesting church to you, we would love for you to visit our website to find out more about us, eternalcity.org, or come visit us on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m., 1300 Swissville Avenue, Wilkinsburg, PA, 15221. Hope to see you soon.